Howdy, welcome to another episode of Cannon Calls. I am your host, Jake McAtee, and this week I spoke with Fisher Darian, Executive Director of the Roger Scruton Legacy Foundation. We talked about all things Roger Scruton from sort of his biography and works and, and everything that his foundation is up to. One aspect through our conversation that I greatly appreciated about Roger was his posture towards great works and history. And basically the posture of modern's today should be one of gratitude as we look back. And that reminded me of the Canon Press shelf, especially the Canon Classics, as we have, you know, the top 50 classics in the world and guides that go with them to help you read through those and, you know, get through the harder parts, as well as the Christian Heritage series, where we have reprinted Christian classics and added a really helpful introduction in the front of those. If you don't know about either of those series, I recommend heading to canonpress.com and getting familiar with those. Without further ado, meet Fisher Dardarian. All right, now welcoming on special guest, Fisher Dardarian, one of the, I mean, top last names of all time. He is the executive director of the Roger Scruton Legacy Foundation. Fisher, thanks so much for hanging, man. Well, thanks, Jake. Uh, it's a real pleasure to join you today, and I'm excited to uh, to talk. So I'm excited, yeah. So uh, what I wanted to do was to maybe give my audience, if you could just formally introduce them to the man, Roger Scruton. Who was yes, he? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, Roger Scruton is an interesting figure. He's a great, uh, I say great, a great British philosopher who was who actually formally trained in aesthetics. So it's the philosophy of beauty. Okay. He was Cam- trained at Cambridge uh, and, and through the course of his interesting life, which I can go into a bit more detail in a moment, came about to uh, discovering the fact that he, he was actually conservative and dedicated his life to stating, I think, the, the positions of conservatives. And, and as he called it, you know, fulfilling the role of the conservative intellectual, which he, he said was giving the real reasons for not having any reasons, but simply doing and feeling what is right. So, so to get a bit more into who Roger was, he, he was actually born uh, in, in 1944 out in, in the UK. You know, he, he was uh, born in, and raised in, in England. And uh, was a student at Cambridge, like I mentioned. And, and during the course of his time as a student, actually was spending some time in Paris. And this is one of his, his stories that he would tell often. He was there during May 1968, which is when there was a, a little student protest going on, perhaps not quite little, but, but a student protest nonetheless. And he, he recalls sitting up in this attic apartment uh, overlooking one of the streets in Paris while he you know, himself was going off to become this amazing uh, uh, novelist that, that it never quite happened, though he did write a couple novels of his own. But uh, he, he was looking down on the streets, seeing these essentially middle-class hooligans, as he called them, uh, running around and, and overturning cars, throwing sticks and um, bricks, uh, stones and bricks, excuse me, at, at police officers and, and through uh, storefronts, and essentially wreaking havoc on their communities and, and saying that they stood for the proletariat, that they stood for you know, the working class. And, and here they were essentially destroying their livelihoods and lives uh, even so. And just watching them, realizing that, you know, as he's, he, would, he would put it, uh, whatever they stood for, he was against. And this is really, I think, when he says he, he first discovered that he was a conservative. And after that point, like I said, spent his life trying to say exactly what it was uh, that conservatives believed and what they did. And so uh, after that, he goes back to, to the UK 
uh, where he finishes his uh, PhD at Cambridge, you know, gets uh, becomes a professor and starts lecturing around uh, London. Uh, and he held a post at the University of Birkbeck, which is a uh, an adult school essentially. So they had had night classes. Um, and in the midst of this, he studies law, you know, gets called to the bar and so forth. This this man just never stopped. He was uh, endless uh, and and always working and tireless. But uh, in the course of this, starts you know writing more and more about the conservative movement, what it means to be conservative, and the uh, the foundations for the conservative intellectual, and uh, becomes reviled, you know, essentially by all of his colleagues. <laughs> he says the only other conservative at the college was the lunch lady in the senior common room and, and they'd sit there and mutter to each other about how crazy everyone else was. Uh, <laughs> but he, he actually in this time also publishes a really interesting book called The Meaning of Conservatism and you know, looks at, at the conservative movement. And then shortly thereafter also publishes a book called Thinkers of the New Left, where he takes a number of, of articles and, and um, pieces he had written for a magazine he was running at the time, the Salisbury Review, uh, and, and puts it together and publishes it. And it's a look at you know, the, the great thinkers of the new left. So Foucault, uh, Hobbes bomb, uh, so on and so forth, and, and essentially one by one goes through and says, "Okay, here are things that are admirable, admirable about these people, but here are also issues uh, and areas uh, where they fall short, and things that we should not accept, and, and where they're wrong, and so on and so forth." And uh, after I don't remember who it was that published it, uh, but but the publisher, you know, um, puts it out. They get they start receiving letters and correspondence from all their top publishers from Oxford and Cambridge and so forth. Uh, essentially saying, you know, remove this from publication uh, or we will find a new publisher who wants to publish our work. And more or less, Roger was essentially blackballed. Um, he, he just became anathema uh, in the British uh, academic scene. And, and he realized, I think, at that point that he didn't have much of a future um, in the British Academy. And uh, he, he started working on other things. It took some time. Uh, but also in the midst of this, gets invited out to then Czechoslovakia. This is around 79, uh, okay. 1979. And gets invited out to Czechoslovakia, you know, then a Soviet uh, country, uh, to give a, a a secret lecture, a quiet lecture, uh, hidden or uh, um, hosted in an apartment that was standing, sitting room only. Everyone was on the floor and standing, um, just all about listening to him lecture on. I don't even remember what it was, probably counts or something of the sort. But but finds this lively and interesting community of dissidents um, who are so devoted to their culture, to keeping their cultural memory alive, uh, and who are just so hungry and thirsty. Uh, for knowledge and truth and people who actually engaged in, in, in real thinking, not in the sort of uh, Soviet approved propaganda that, that, you know, you could only repeat whatever it is the, the government told you you could, or the party rather told you you could. And of course, all these people were um, coal, uh, coal sweepers and, uh, you know, menial workers around the town, and, and none of them had any positions of significance. Uh, but, but it's at this point that he starts to engage with this community of dissidents and, and really builds up this interesting network. Uh, in Czechoslovakia, in Poland, in Hungary, in Romania, and over the course of you know ten years, starting from seventy nine through eighty nine, when the wall finally fell, does a lot of work in the region, uh, establishes the Jan Hus uh, Educational Foundation, also establishes the Jagiellonian Trust, and these are all just different groups uh, who are working throughout the countries in the region, essentially doing the same thing, where they're getting in contact with dissident academics and and just dissidents who are are looking for religion, who are looking for truth, who are looking for culture. And uh, gets them Samizdat publications, which are you know cheaply made sub, uh, publications that could be uh, easily discarded if need be. That would pass from person to person as they'd read, whether it was you know uh, the latest publication of the Salisbury Review or uh, Shakespeare or you know whatever, whatever great piece of cultural work or or uh, intellectual work um, that was banned by the Soviets, just being handed about. 
and he he really falls uh, Roger really falls in love with with the the people of Central Europe at this time, and and especially you know as he he says later uh, the, the the Czechs who stole his heart. But so so he's going through this and and things here kind of end, but he's still involved in the region, and he also ends up purchasing a farm in '93. And at this point, you know he's no longer in the academy. He's a, a public uh, thinker and writer. Uh, he uh, is a, a regular columnist in a number of different publications uh, throughout the UK, and actually also starts to lecture uh, and teach at Boston University, um, where he goes back and forth, and, and he goes home to hunt. Uh, over the weekends, he does fox hunting, of course, uh, like any good uh, Englishman, <laughs> um, but, but goes home to fox hunt on the weekends and comes back to the States to, to teach during the week. And in the course of this, purchases a farm in, in the UK. Sunday Hill Farm, which is a, just a beautiful farm out in Wiltshire, you know, the, this lovely kind of English countryside area. And uh, during one of his trips actually meets, you know, what's become his, his wife. Uh, he was out riding one day and, and uh, fell off the horse. And he says, you know, here there's uh, here, a young, lovely lady stops and helps him get up and, and ends up, you know, trotting with him back to join the rest of the, uh, the, the troop that was hunting. Uh, which he says is is the sign that he knows that she was actually you know a person of interest and of of class uh, because she essentially gave up her whole day of hunting to help out this you know frumpy old <laughs> professor of sorts. <laughs> wow! But but okay. over the course of this, yeah, they they ended up courting and getting married a couple years later, and uh, and then it just goes on from here, right? So he, he ends up coming to the states. They live in the states for a couple years, uh, and then he he returns after about five years. But during that time, he's at the American Enterprise Institute and the Ethics and Public Policy Center and uh, a couple other institutions. Um, and then and then he finally, I think when he, he had two kids, he has two kids. And when they became of school age, they decided to go back to the UK to have them educated there. And uh, and then from there, you know, he he in some sense, you know, having been an outsider his whole life and having to really uh, have, have dealt with the fact that he, um, he he wasn't liked by many people suddenly comes home and and finds that people are a little bit more open to him and, and gets a position teaching at Oxford and uh, holds uh, a couple different positions and actually gets knighted in 2016. Yeah. Uh, and it gets to the point so much so where he's actually appointed uh, a chair of a government commission, the Building Better, Building Beautiful Commission, which seeks to uh, look at how to build beautiful public housing that recognizes you know, the dignity of the people who need public housing. And and then this, of course, is one of the famous episodes where, uh, in the midst of this, you know, he was attacked early on. People went through his work and and did um, did the sort of what is it woke or uh, offense archaeology? I think is is what someone okay. called it. Okay. Where where you know they go through and try and find you know what is it that you've said that's offensive over the last twenty thirty yeah. years? They looked at his old tweets. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Something of the sorts, right? Yes. Yeah. All of his old books and, and lectures that he'd done. And, and they did this early on when he was first appointed in 2018, but uh, unsuccessfully. Uh, and then in 2019, he, um, I, you know, just out of out of the kindness of his heart, agrees to do an interview with the New Statesman, which is a left-leaning publication in the UK. And is actually he had a, a column there where he'd write about wine and other topics for some years uh, when he was younger. And and so you know, just thinking fondly of this publication, uh, accepts um, this interview uh, with a, a young editor named George Eaton. And, uh, you know, they go about it. He talks about his views. The, you know, the editors just ask him questions, essentially get him to talk about how he's a conservative, more or less. Uh, and then following the interview, uh, the editor then takes some select quotes, uh, especially out of context, and starts saying, can you believe, you know, what this bigot believes? And or can, you, can you believe what this bigot thinks and, and uh, views, how he views the world and, and how he thinks this about these people and this about those people and so forth? 
Um, and, and for whatever reason, the conservative government in the UK quickly snaps this up and fires him more or less immediately. I think he was actually out visiting some location for research for, for the commission uh, when he gets a call on the train ride home that he's been fired from, from a friend who, uh, who's in government or something of the sort. And, um, you know, it, it just began a, a month-long process where he was just per- persecuted publicly um, and, and just ripped apart. You know, uh, people came after him. But the, the beautiful thing about this was people also came to his defense nation, uh, nationally and internationally, I meant to say. People, people came to uh, support him and, and his friend, Douglas Murray, who's a, a great um, writer and thinker in the uh, UK as well, uh, really rallied a bunch of people and, and was, was pushing for him to be reinstated. And, and eventually he was, you know, they finally got the uh, full recording of the interview that, and it released it. And it was shown that, no, Roger really wasn't a bigot. He was just the thoughtful man who, who had shared his thoughts on a couple different things that, you know, when you take something out of context, like, you know, is possible with anyone suddenly it sounds offensive and horrid. And, uh, and so he was reinstated uh, as a co-chair, but at this point he's, he's feeling quite sick and not as good. Um, and it's, uh, he's diagnosed with cancer and then he goes through treatment and, and gets, gets better. But essentially, uh, I think late, late 2019 um, uh, contracts pneumonia and passes away in January uh, 2020. So it's quite the life, quite the story. I know it's a little long and a little no, drawn no. out, but just to give you sort of the flavor of the man, um, and the idea of, of who he was and what he cared about and what he fought for and his very interesting life. And I, and I just want to read, if I can, Jake, Please. Uh, there's a, a paragraph from an article he published in The Spectator, a British magazine called My 2019, sort of reflecting upon you know, the persecution that he went through and, and this strange experience of, of being attacked by the cancel mob and, and so forth. And I think this just really gets at the heart of, of who Roger was and, and what he thought conservatism was about. Uh, but this is something I think that was published just three or four weeks, I think, uh, maybe three or two weeks, actually, uh, before he passed away. But in, in summarizing December and sort of his whole 2019, he says, during this year, much was taken from me. My reputation, my standing as a public intellectual, my position in the conservative movement, my peace of mind, my health. But much more was given back by Douglas Murray's generous defense, by the friends who rallied behind him, by the rheumatologist who saved my life, and by the doctor to whose care I am now entrusted. Falling to the bottom in my own country, I have been raised to the top elsewhere. And looking back over the sequence of events, I can only be glad that I have lived long enough to see this happen. Coming close to death, you begin to know what life means and what it means is gratitude. Love it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. A really beautiful statement of of Roger's life, I think, and and of course, of of what he saw the, the conservative disposition of being, which is one of gratitude. One of, of thankfulness for what we've inherited, uh, a love of what we have, and a desire to see it passed on. Now, looking through, you know, his list of books, you would find that, you know, someone new to him might wonder, like, where do you pin this guy down? You know, he's got a book on sexuality, conservatism, beauty. He's got all these tracks. What do you think for him, sort of as a polymath? What was what is the thing that he brought to each of those topics, though? Was there a thesis? Is there an umbrella that could cover all of those different topics? Yeah, well, you know, just say it, say say something briefly about that. Is you know, he he just wrote about whatever interested him. So as you said, you look through this list of books, you see things on philosophy, on the history of philosophy, on politics, on you know the history of politics to some extent, on um, wine, on culture, on music, on art, so on and so forth, right? And and he even writes his own novels and short stories, like I mentioned. Writes a couple uh, scores of music and and uh, had made two or three operas, I want to say. There's, there's actually, he'd written a libretto. Wow. 
right before he passed. And it's actually being set by a, a friend of his, David Matthews, who's a, a British composer. Um, but, but, you know, the man just had such range and such interest. And whenever he became interested in a topic, he would just dedicate himself to it for a couple of years, read as much as possible, and then write something about it and move on to the next topic of interest. So much so, I think Douglas Murray in, in his um, memorial piece, you know, shortly after Roger passed away, that he wrote up and published, talked about how one time he was at a, a dinner party in London, and, and here were all these, you know, high and high-minded um, Londonites who, who thought well of themselves and how brilliant they were. And they tell Roger, talking about one of his books called The West and the Rest, where he kind of looks and, and compares and contrasts um, the West to, you know, essentially the Middle East, the uh, Christian societies to Islamic societies, Muslim societies. And they say, oh, Roger, you know, you really should work on a second edition of, of The West and the Rest. And just in passing, he says, oh, well, you know, it's a nice idea, but I don't think my Farsi is up to, uh, up to speed and, and where it should be to do that again. <laughs> and <laughs> Douglas says, this just stops everyone's, uh, everyone, everyone in their tracks who's, who's sitting there uh, as they realize what Roger just said and, and how just nonchalantly it was no thing of importance. He just stated the fact. Yep. But all that being said, you know, he has quite this wide and interesting range. And one way I think to describe it is that he, throughout it all, he was seeking the sacred. And trying to make space for the sacred and returning to the sacred, um, and and uh, this is where you know there's a sort of conservatism that comes out of it. This is where his concern for culture comes out. This is where his concern for the nation and the nation state comes out. But it's this idea that we um, we ought to order our, our lives around the sacred and our experiences of the transcendent. Um, and and Roger has his own very interesting faith history, which we can go to and if we want to. But 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 I think briefly stated, um, this is really what it, what's at the heart of it. What is it that makes us human? And uh, how do we how do we continue to achieve this and ask these questions and further us in this way, um, and especially so you know making room for the sacred in that and and what does that exactly look like? So uh, I'd be curious what 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 was his sort of relationship with faith and and th- those things? Yeah, yeah, no, it's a, a very interesting topic. Uh, so he grew up in the Church of England um, as an Anglican, which is you know I, I'd say but not much at all at least in, in the British context. <laughs> Um, and and uh, as a young man, became a bit of an ag- agnostic, you know, was a, uh, a bit unsure. And I think actually uh, at one point ended up joining the Catholic Church. He, when he was spending time in, in Paris and France more generally, had met a woman there uh, and they got married in the Catholic Church. And I think he was uh, enchanted by it. But I, in, in one of his books, Gentle Regrets, which is a bit of a, a memoir of his life, a really interesting one at that and a great place uh, to start with any Rogers works if, if anyone's looking for recommendation talks about this idea of stealing from the church. You know, he, he admits that he never fully believed, but he thought, you know, here was this, this body of traditions and customs of beliefs and of uh, beauty, really, that, that was really quite enchanting and, and compelling and ends up joining the Catholic church, getting married, but the marriage is rocky and unstable. They get a divorce and um, for, for no good reason other than they're not compatible and, uh, and, and leaves the Catholic church. And at this point becomes uh, a bit of an agnostic atheist, you know, one of these perhaps Christian atheist or post-Christian atheist, however you want to call him, and says, well, you know, there, there really isn't a God, but we ought to live as there, you know, as if there were one. And, and much of our culture and civilization uh, is dependent upon this Christian idea. So it's, it's not a bad thing, but, you know, we as enlightened people know that it's not true. Um, and, and so he actually continues on this way for, for some time, but right around the time that he meets his, his second wife, Sophie, and they start uh, going back and forth, I think he he finds himself softening to the idea of of faith and and religion, and ends up joining um, the Church of England again, uh, but this time as a as a much more serious and devout person. 
<coughs> excuse me. And, um, uh, you know, I, I think for the last 20 or so years of his life played, uh, every Sunday, the organ at his, his local church and, and really, you know, became dedicated again. Now, that being said, he did have some unorthodox views perhaps on, on Christian faith. And, and I don't know, you know, the exact status of it. This is something I hope that, you know, maybe changed in the last couple of weeks of his life. But I remember reading, I think there's a piece from, um, April, 2019, uh, where he's talking about, you know, essentially his persecution at this time being canceled by the mob and so forth. And is talking about the persecution of Christ and, and really starting to understand that at a d- deeper level and, and having its significance more present and prevalent in his mind. And he says something along the lines of, you know, whether or not you believe in the historical figure of Christ is, is another topic, but we can deduce, you know, such and such. And I, I know, you know, there's still, still a little bit of uniqueness there, right? You know, sure. he's, he's not, if anything, he's, he's standing on the precipice looking over, but not yet willing to jump in. Um, but, you know, there was another year of life beyond that. And, and my sincere hope is that, you know, he, he, he fully committed himself to the faith, but yeah. So, so again, it's a complex thing. Sure. Roger is, is Roger. He's a one of a kind and he's an interesting fellow. And, uh, you know, I, the least I can say is by engaging with this thought, you know, it really makes you reflect and think. And even, even if you deduce, uh, come to the conclusion that he's wrong in, in certain areas, it's, it's still a journey I think worth taking. Now, so at this point, I'd be, I'd be fascinated to know, how did you come into the foundation? So when, when, was, when did you start there? Yeah. So uh, it's, an, it's an interesting story itself. I, I actually was introduced to Roger's work and, and thought uh, in college uh, during a modern philosophy course. And um, you know, a good friend and I started watching all of his videos and lectures on YouTube and reading his stuff and, and so forth. And and had this strange experience one day when we were, you know, again at the King's College, we went off to this sort of leadership little retreat before all the students came back and, and whatnot. And we're standing out in Long Island at this random little conference center. Uh, and we, we do a double take and see this familiar looking fellow, uh, Roger Scruton, standing before us waiting for breakfast. <laughs> and both of us are a bit speechless, you know, it shows, shows the type of people we are, you know, we're starstruck. And I can't get anything out. The, the most my friend can say is we, we walk up to him and he says, Roger Scruton, what are you doing here? And Roger looks at us and says, oh, well, uh, what are you doing here? You know, and, and then we just start talking and, and it was just an interesting <laughs> interaction and experience. And then from there, you know, he came to the city every so often giving lectures and whatnot and, and got to interact and engage, engage with him a bit more, excuse me. But by the time I had graduated and was working uh, for a couple of years after, I started to get the itch to go back to school and, and realized that he was doing this uh, MA program at the University of Buckingham. It's about an hour, hour and a half north of London. Okay. Um, and, and it was a really interesting, you know, the, the school itself is an interesting one. It's the first private university in the United Kingdom. But that being said, it was founded, I think, in the 80s uh, when Margaret Thatcher was the Secretary of Education. She approved of its, you know, establishment. And then when she was Prime Minister, gave it its charter so it could begin operations and whatnot. And, uh, and I think it was actually its first chancellor after she was Prime Minister. But they had set up this strange little program for Roger where he could uh, hold the masters of his own. And, and it consisted of us. Uh, gathering uh, in, a, in a little back room in a social club just a block away from Buckingham Palace in London. And he or a guest would lecture to us for an hour, an hour and a half. You know, we're all sitting around this table. I'm, I'm the youngest at this point, but there are people in their mid, late 50s and 60s, about 15 of us. And, and they talked to us for about an hour. And then we'd get up, go next door, have a glass of wine as they set the table for dinner. And then we'd come back and sit down and, and just talk and drink and, and eat um, and discuss the topic for the evening and whatever else we wanted to discuss. And so I got to do this a number of times and, and uh, did the, the MA program in the midst of that and, and wrote my thesis. And uh, as we were meeting one day, I, I just said to Roger, I said, look, you know, you are Roger Scruton. 
surely we can find someone in the States, some, some group of people in the States uh, who are willing to support you and get behind you and, and really start something interesting. And, and you know, here he was uh, sitting with this young man saying, let me help you fundraise and so forth. And then he said, oh, yes, this sounds interesting. I think his line was, uh, anything that helps me uh, make some more money while I get to sit at home and feed my chickens is a good thing <laughs> to me. You know? and, uh, and, and so it just began this really interesting uh, correspondence and back and forth where for about two years time, uh, we were we were dialoguing about this idea, and and I had you know developed this idea of the Roger Scruton Legacy Foundation, and it took a couple different iterations, but we finally landed on generally what it is now. Um, and and I was hoping to move forward. You know, he gave me a signature, and I started reaching out to people, and, and really starting to try and cultivate these relationships. And and this was you know in the midst of it, I had written up a couple documents that I wanted his his final approval on, right? And um, I'm waiting for him to get back to me, and then this is when he he contracts pneumonia and passes away. And wow. so a couple months after that, you know, I was able to reconnect with his widow, Sophie. And, uh, and we, we started a, a serious discussion again about this. And, and she said, well, look, I know Roger gave you his permission and his blessing to do this. You know, this is something of interest to us. So let's, let's get this thing figured out. And it all coincided, I think, you know, on, on my part quite nicely, um, perhaps even providentially, might I say, um, with, with COVID to some extent, because the question had always been, how do I get this thing going? And, you know, just been swirling back and forth. Here I was, this young man, you know just with an idea that I wanted to create and uh, an idea of an institution I wanted to create, I should say. And, and so in the midst of this, started reaching out to people and really building up this interesting network of, of Scrutonians or people perhaps at least sympathetic to the Scrutonian vision um, uh, around the world here in the States and the UK and, and in Europe and elsewhere. Um, and, and we launched uh, back in August after, after about four or five months of this, of so just going back and forth, you know, reaching out to these people. Um, engaging and, and building a network uh, and and a group of boards to support this organization. So it's it's really been a, a project of mine, a, a passion project of sorts that I've been pursuing now for I think almost three or four years. Uh, and it's it's just been a great joy this last year to have actually had this thing, to have it going and operating, um, and to be hosting the hosting the sorts of conversations we've had and and um, looking to the future. You know some of the exciting plans we have to come. But but all I have to say is. Uh, yeah, I've I've been at it more or less alone now for about four or five years, and uh, three or four years, I should say. And uh, it's been a, a great joy and a great ride to uh, to get to do this. And you know, every now and then I just pinch myself and say, "My goodness, you know, here I am, uh, overseeing the legacy of Roger Scruton, one of the the great conservative intellectuals and, and perhaps greatest <laughs> thinkers of of the twenty and twenty first century." Um, and and here, I, you know, some random boy from the Central Valley of California uh, who's still a young man and and still building up his family and life and these sorts of things. But it's um, it's been a heck of a ride. Well, no pressure, no pressure. So yeah, right. <laughs> now you mentioned it went through several iterations before landing on what you have now. Can, mm -hmm. Tell, what is a foundation and especially yours? Like, what do you do? Yeah. So, I mean, of course there are different kinds of foundations. There are some fa family foundations, you know, who have money, who give it away and, and whatnot. Ours is just more generally conceived a nonprofit, right? Okay. Um, and, and so the idea is that we are actively building Roger's legacy. Uh, and we're going to do that through the conservation, care, and continuation of, of traditional wisdom and culture from the Western tradition. Uh, we, we want to, I, I think it's, the goal really is twofold, right? Uh, of course, we want to remember Roger, educate people on his work and who he was, and his, as, as I've you know, explained it here, his very interesting life and why he's uh, an important figure and one for us to remember and care about. Um, so we're going to do that through uh, lectures and seminars, you know, different sorts of events where people um, get to come together and, and, you know, ideally students, of course, get to come together, discuss these things, really think through, you know, Roger's work in life and get to interact with it and understand what it is he's arguing for and, and what's he, what he's about. 
But if you've ever had the pleasure of reading Roger or any of his work or listening to him, the way I've described it before is, is there's a real energy behind him. Um, there's, there's a lot of momentum uh, and, and the sort of youthfulness, I think. And it would be a, just a real shame and tragedy if, if we let this fizzle out, say, over 10 years, and then suddenly in 10 or 20 years' time, someone says, oh, I've rediscovered this amazing you know, British thinker, Roger Scruton, who's said all these wonderful things that really apply well to our times, and we ought to really you know, sure. be concerned with this. Sure. Um, and, and I think you know, as a part of this, we, we really have to build off Roger's work. Um, because not only was he an interesting thinker in his own right, but he said a lot of great and, and true things, I think. Uh, and and fought for a lot of uh, important causes, uh, and if if the foundation, uh, as I've I've uh, framed it and conceived of it, is doing its job and doing it well over the next five to ten years, what we're going to be doing is supporting these people who cared about the things he cared about. So, like I mentioned, like architecture and music and culture, um, the academy, you know, broadly speaking, politics and and just cult, it goes on and on, right? There, there's so many things, wine and you know, sexuality and sexual ethics is is really what it is, but. There's just a lot of opportunities, I think, to continue Roger's work in a tangible and concrete way um, that would be of interest. And really, at the end of the day, embolden the people who are doing these works um, so that they can continue to speak out. You know, this is one of the really interesting things I found is, you know, we often think we have it quite bad here in the States, especially, you know, those of us who lean to the right, who generally identify as Christian and so forth. But it's it's even more dire in the UK uh, from what I've learned, hmm. you know, to to hold you know, what we might say are generally orthodox, uh, conservative or Christian positions being pro-life generally, or these sorts of things is actually you know, quite looked down upon uh, across British society. And, and in, in the course of these conversations and the work that I've been doing, you know, I've talked to a number of academics, um, people who came into say Cambridge were just recently hired and whatnot and, and have tenured positions. So they don't mind being a bit more outspoken about their beliefs and connecting with different faculty members at the colleges around Cambridge and realizing, you know, and connecting these people and realizing that you know some of these colleagues had worked side by side for 15 to 20 years but never knew the other existed and and there was someone else who thought in a similar way as them um you know they're just so frightened and scared to speak out because it can be so detrimental to who they are and to their livelihoods which you know is a phenomenon we're starting to see here more and more in the in the states but uh, albeit not at uh, at such high levels though maybe that's going to change in the future too but uh, but but we ought to be supporting these people in the UK especially in the US and and in central Europe and elsewhere um, and emboldening them to to speak out, and and part of that work is just going to simply be connecting them, uh, encouraging them to have dialogues and discussions to really refine their ideas. And I mean this in the sense of you know perhaps political thinkers or politicians or professionals, but also in the sense of artists, you know people who are actually working in traditional art forms, uh, who are building you know generally traditional architecture or making somewhat traditional music, or uh, you know the, the list goes on and on. But but people who are seeking to keep their traditions and their inheritances, their culture alive, and in ensuring that they, you know, have the support um, and and they feel so emboldened to do so, I think is is really going to be an important aspect of of what the foundation is as we go forward, and especially looking to the long term. I think future and hopefully success of it of this uh, organization. Awesome, awesome. Now I saw too that you guys uh, one of the one of the sort of the ways that folks can get involved is you have sort of an online book group. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So we've, we've been doing a number of, of book groups. Um, you know, as, as you mentioned, Jake, you know, there's just so many books that Roger wrote. I think it's, it's something over 50. It's hard to get an exact count because, you know, he, he did republications or different revisions and different things like this. It was published in, you know, in, in one title in this country and another title in another country and so on and so forth. 
but uh but but, but something over 50 books and uh, which is quite a lot you know the man essentially at a certain point was producing a book a year if not two um especially later on in his career but we we've been doing these online book clubs uh bringing in uh, i think experts uh, academics uh, people who know roger knew roger or know his work well at least um, who can really help lead uh, individuals interested in Roger's work through through the books, just because you know some of these books, some of them he wrote for a more general audience, but some are very technical um, and very uh, philosophical, um, and just to be able to work through it can be a bit of a slodge at times, a trudge, um, and and having someone there who can you know of course keep you accountable, but also help explain what exactly Roger's getting at with this the philosophical speak and, and so forth. I think is just a big help, and and I've just heard some some wonderful feedback and and remarks afterwards of people who are grateful to have gone through these programs and and really to get a better understanding of what it is Roger's saying and and being able to uh, wrestle with it and grapple it and get a sense of it and and you know apply what's what they think is is true and the opposite as well. Awesome. Now you mentioned you had one book recommendation, but if if folks hear this and they want to, what would you recommend is sort of the easiest way into Roger's thought? What, what books yeah, would you so, recommend? Yeah, no, it's a great question. So, I mean, like I mentioned, there's a book called Gentle Regrets. Okay. And so it's, uh, it's a memoir that he wrote. And I think this is, you know, one of the things I'll say about Roger's work is, uh, unless it's specifically a, a philosophical text, like one of his books that's written for an academic audience, you know, the way he, he typically does it is he blends and merges uh, his philosophy with autobiography and his reflections on culture and society. I mean, and it just goes from there in this really beautiful and interesting way. So I'll, I'll say gentle regrets is one of interest. If you can get your hands on it, you know, I, at least at the time of this recording, you know, as we're having this discussion, I know the books is a little bit in demand at the moment, but there's a book called on hunting, um, which oh, wow. is uh, perhaps not necessarily uh, applicable to an American context. Uh, but at the same time is, in some sense, I think a really interesting case study, um, if we can put it like that, uh, of Roger's sort of fierce dedication and commitment to uh, his, you know, what's his own to England, to the local, um, and and uh, really communicates this love he has for fox hunting. But it's also, you know, like I said, part uh, autobiography, part philosophy, and, and some really interesting uh, reflections on culture as well. And then finally, you know, another book I would recommend actually picking up is called Confessions of a Heretic. And so this is a collection of essays uh, that Roger published uh, on the U.S. and on the U.K. and, and different things and his, his different aspects of his thinking um, that, that I think was published in, in 2015. And they're actually coming out with a, a, revis- a revised version later this year um, with a forward by, by Douglas Murray. Awesome. But it's, it's a collection of essays that I think gives you know, nice, digestible, bite-sized pieces and insights uh, into Roger's thought, you know, in different aspects of it, whether it's on, um, on music, on, you know, the culture of fakes, uh, on the nation, the nation and national loyalty, um, on uh, the environment, on animals, you know, so on and so forth. So uh, I, I would recommend Confessions of a Heretic on Hunting and Gentle Regrets all as, as I think, viable and interesting options for people to look into. Awesome. Awesome. And I assume those are just wherever books are sold, they can get a hold of those. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And, and again, I, uh, Confessions of a Heretic, there's the first edition that's already out there. The second edition will be coming out, I think, September in the US. Okay. And then as far as the foundation goes, if folks are interested and want to participate or what have you, what's the best avenue for that for them? Yeah, well, I'd certainly recommend going to our website, scruton.org. It's S-C-R-U-T-O-N.org. Okay. Um, and, and looking there. 
Um, we, we've been hosting a number of online events really since since we were founded and, and publicly you know established last since last August and, and plan to do so at least for the rest of 2021. We'll see exactly how things progress in 22 and, and what makes sense then. I'm sure you know it seems that for, to some extent these uh, online events are here to stay. We'll, we'll see exactly what people feel like once we really get past all this COVID stuff. Right. But, uh, but we do a number of things like that. And then uh, we, we hope to host a lot more in-person events. So we'll be doing conferences and lectures and seminars uh, in person. Um, there are opportunities for young people, especially. Uh, we we want to host a number host a number of uh, college student seminars um, and and uh, opportunities to attend uh, different programs related to Roger and Roger's work. We, for instance, just had a, a fellowship program where we were uh, fully sponsoring two students to go to what's called the Scrutopia Summer School. So this is. Uh, a 10 day immersive course that Roger and his wife Sophie uh, started a couple of years back, but they're continuing on now after Roger's passed, but paid for, for two students uh, to have a fully funded experience where they get to go and essentially spend 10 days around the farm uh, engaging with you know, Roger's direct environment and, and his thought and, and meeting other people who are similarly interested in these things and, and um, care about what Roger cared about. And then, of course, you know, uh, so following all these things, subscribing to our newsletter and, and following us on a different social media platforms like Twitter and Instagram. We have a YouTube account as well, but we're also just looking for support at this point. You know, this is still a fledgling enterprise and we're still trying to upstart here and, and uh, any, any donation or um, financial contribution is, is very much so appreciated and, and directly goes to putting on these programs and events, hopefully pushing people to really think and engage seriously with their own traditions and what it is, I think that that matters, you know, what, what is it that makes life worthwhile? Awesome. Awesome, man. It sounds like an awesome foundation. The little bit that I've read of, of Roger has been really edifying and I, I've enjoyed it quite a bit. And I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join the, the book club. So um, I good. hope everybody does the same and you go get uh, the recommendations. Fisher, thanks so much Perfect. for giving us your time, sir. Well, thank you so much, Jake. It's been a real pleasure to talk with you today. Awesome. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.